0: Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the radio ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for this series, and I'm speaking today with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian, and Amy Russell, a former New Ager and now a dear sister in Christ. Last week, we were talking about the secular kind of YMCA version of yoga, and we went over the three categories of the yoga poses, showing how these were really intended to open you to the spirit world. Based on what we have learned so far about yoga, how can there possibly be Christian yoga?
1: So now applying that logic that we spoke of, In relation to the traction yoga is gaining in the church. It's hinged upon the notion that a revised Christian label will eliminate its Hindu philosophy. So both the secular yoga and the Christian yoga frames of reference converge on the same message, even though their context diverges. So in Christian yoga, why this doesn't work, yoga is comprised of the Hindu pantheon of gods, And it is said to be their divine gift to us. So its source is already corrupt. So then how is it even remotely possible to attempt to rebrand this inherently occult practice into the framework of Christianity? It's an exercise in futility by its definition. God is holy. God will not transgress his own nature to commune with us. Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So attempting to contrive this counterfeit worship into Christianity doesn't change the corrupt source from which it's derived. It's still worship to Hindu gods. Spirits tend to their possessions. And yoga belongs to the spirits of this demonic realm. These poses belong to the demons to whom they are ascribed. Ignorance is not a disclaimer. Good intentions is not a disclaimer. So when one shapes his or her body into the poses that commemorate these spirits' archetype, their body then becomes the idol. They offer their body as the idol in silent worship to spirits of yoga. Acts 15, 29, abstain from things offered to idols. So yoga is a practice devised to lead us away from God, not toward him. And the three things that yoga is designed to do is suppress our discernment capabilities, insulate us with spiritual opposition against the Bible, and elicit hostility toward the teachings of the gospel. So it's a tool to harden our hearts. And then I just know when I tried, in my experience, when I tried to return to yoga as a Christian, I couldn't shrug off or discount the apprehension or the um, oppressive presence I felt. It wasn't a non-living energy that I walked into. It was a presence that possessed awareness. And it was very oppressive, and I couldn't shrug it off. So I was reminded of John 10, 4. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. The source of yoga is corrupt, counterfeit, and contaminated. God does not accept a detestable man-made idol worship practice. And just as Bob pointed out previously, God ordains how we worship him.
2: Right. It's interesting, uh, in preparation for today, I went and looked up some articles I wrote 10, 11, 12 years ago, where I was warning about occult practices coming into the church. Mm -hmm. And one of the books that I reviewed was from nineteen seventy eight and it was by Richard Foster.
1: Yes, uh-huh.
2: Okay, so Foster was one of the early quote quote innovators yep. who bringing mysticism into the church, but Foster was a Quaker, and Quakers have always been mystics. Mm-hmm. He was not only advocating yoga, uh, that would be mild compared to a lot of the stuff he's advocating. And I'm not implying that yoga is vile. It's not, but uh, the things he was teaching were just overtly occult, and his book became a bestseller. So and there, it's still
0: being promoted today. I see it all the time. Yes,
2: there. Uh, Richard Foster's called "Celebration of Discipline." So his occultic practices were sold to the church as being disciplined wow and so sort of see how that goes with yoga too because in yoga you're supposedly disciplining yourself
1: yep yep it's it's a it is a discipline and you go every single day and that's actually what drew me to it was the discipline aspect of it
2: well let me just i pulled out of my article which is by the way cic issue 112 112 and so here's a citation from Foster. Quote, the classical disciplines of the spiritual life, says Foster, call us to move beyond surface living into the depths. They invite us to explore the inner caverns of the spiritual realm. So Is Foster any... calling us into the inner caverns wow. of the spiritual realm. And he thinks that's a good thing, and Christians need to do it.
0: Does he even try to use any scripture to support this claim?
2: Well, they all do, but they're, uh, they're, just, they're always the same basic scriptures. Um, in, in Foster's book, they'll go through some Psalms and things like, Be Still and Know That I Am God.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, that's always the go-to verse.
2: They've got two or three that they try to use, but always taken out of context and missing the whole point. But there's no scripture. But I thought um, it's really interesting how how Foster tries to get by with this, and uh, because why would you want to go into the inner caverns of the spiritual realm? Doesn't the idea of a cavern sound like kind of a dark, bad place? They all
1: speak about going inside yourself, going deep within, and the whole context of the New Age is to go deep within.
2: Right, and that was the um, Quaker idea of the inner light. So uh, there's occult. There's whole denominations, which Quaker is, are occultic and always have been. Now. Let me just cite another thing for Foster to show that what Amy experienced here was around 30 years ago.
0: 40 remember?
2: years ago. 40 years ago. Yeah. In the morning to do math. <laughs> we must be willing, says Foster, to go down into the recreating silences, into the inner world of contemplation. In their writings, all of the masters of meditation strive to awaken us to the fact that the universe is much larger than we know, that there are vast unexplored inner regions that are just as real as the physical world we know so well. They call us to the adventure to be pioneers in this frontier of the spirit. So Foster was saying we're going to be like, Um, explorers, pioneers, going Mm -hmm. into uncharted territory to to go through meditation in order to get into this other world, this inner cavern Mm -hmm. of the spirit world or the spirit realm. And what Amy has been sharing with us so well is that this is a world of the spirits, of false deities. And these are evil spirits that want to harm us, and they're masquerading as angels of light.
1: Right. You had asked Bob um, in the previous session um, regarding ascended masters and how you know how do we know that they even exist? If if we, if somebody just tells you, well, you're ascended master, but demons will. Um, portray themselves as ascended masters, as long as well as spirit guides. So they'll come to you, masquerading as whatever form is is going to be something that you take on as real. And as the Bible so people, says,
0: they masquerade as angels right, of light.
1: They masquerade as angels of light. So if if that is something that connects to the person that's seeking that, demons are are happy to um, accommodate. You know they're shapeshifters they can come in whatever shape they want and people are people who are searching will jump on board and say oh yeah well you know my ascended master appeared to me and without any without any question that no that was a demonic spirit that appeared to you but
2: there's the human version of it which we've been calling shamans mm-hmm. uh, foster would call masters of meditation they they're like they learn some trade. But in the occult world, they're called gurus mm-hmm. and uh, whatever, witch doctors, shamans, spiritual. But in, in the church, they changed the term for the same person and called them spiritual directors.
1: Wow, okay.
2: I don't know if you ever heard that in your... I have
1: not. No, I have not.
2: Well, they called them spiritual directors, and they're saying that you need these in order to be guided on your journey. Well, here, let me just quote Foster on that. I'm going to quote Richard Foster. Mm -hmm. Quote, in the Middle Ages, not even the greatest saints, says Foster, attempted the depths of the inward journey without the help of a spiritual director, unquote. That's page 159 from his book from 1978, Celebration of Discipline. So this is a dangerous journey, and you need somebody to guide you, a person. And this he called a spiritual director. And it's interesting. We've often asked, what sort of prayer, if you come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you pray to God in the name of Christ, are you putting yourself in danger? No. But if you do this other sort of inward journey, Mm -hmm. even the people teaching it say that it's a a dangerous journey. So even the great saints need a spiritual director. So that would be probably like the occult teachers. or I don't know what they call the people, uh, Amy, leading your yoga class.
1: Yeah, the instructors, but that—that that sounds like a reference once again to to spirit guides. Um, that if you need a spiritual director, would that be something along the same lines as as um,
2: asking for a spirit Someone guide? Teaching you how to do this, but the human evidently has some spiritual guide. Yet
0: scripture is silent on that. Never once are we told that we need a spiritual yeah. director, given biblical qualifications for a spiritual director, mm-hmm. given any guidelines as, as to what is, you know, yeah. there, it's just so muddy. There's nothing there to support this.
2: There's no office in the church called spiritual director.
1: Right, right. This so is, are, you, are you asking for a mystical um guide, spirit guide director from another plane?
2: Well, they're asking for a human who's good at this, which we would just call a shaman.
1: Okay. Okay. So along the same lines as a, a human guide, not a spirit guide.
2: Right. This would okay. be a human who's good at contacting this world of the spirits and guiding people on their journey into it.
0: Okay. So a Christian medium or Christian...
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just and it's it's becoming. I mean, it's just becoming so prevalent in our churches, and people are jumping on board um, with with that whole concept. And yeah, the um, you were talking about you know evil spirits, and if they're referenced in yoga or in Hinduism, so it's like I just wanted to go back to that. They are depicted in like Hindu mythology. Okay. and hin- hindu folklore and also they're alleged to be manifested aspects of nature in the sense that as as in you've incited like the wrath of the gods of nature um also alleged to be ghosts of deceased persons that are prevented from moving on so they're trapped between worlds but again they're not it's not characterized as a moral precept you know you're not you're dealing in abstractions there's there's no absolute distinction so evil spirits are referred to but not in relation to the demonic spirits that embody them so these religions would have to acknowledge man's fallen nature in order to recognize the doctrine of sin that there is evil in the world thus man's need for salvation through christ's death and resurrection so it's like i feel like a lot of the churches are moving toward ecumenicalism and moving away from the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of redemption of, of sins through Christ's death and resurrection. And then, then of course, we're moving into the mystical and, you know, whatever path you need to take to find God, that's fine. That's your path. And so they do away with the death and resurrection and the need for forgiveness of sins, because if man is not a, a sinner, if man does not have a sinful nature, then we don't have any reason to acknowledge the death and
2: resurrection yeah you know amy what caused that was theological liberalism such as i grew up in in a methodist church that i grew up in they had gone into liberalism at least those pastors had they didn't even believe in the resurrection
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that left kind of a vacuum because all you had left was trying to be a good person and maybe civic duty
0: or religious
2: good works, there were no spiritual component to it. You just had the traditions of the church that you cited when you did your liturgy. But that didn't last for very long before an occultic version of Christianity came in, and liberalism became infused with spirituality from the East.
1: From the East, Yeah.
2: So Foster in 1978 was coming in to fill a void, but the void wasn't a lack of occultism. The void was a lack of redemption.
0: If you don't have the gospel in the churches, then you don't have people being born again. And if you don't have people being born again, they're not being filled with the spirit. And if they're not being filled with the spirit, they don't have the fruit of the spirit. And now you're just left with. Worldly wisdom, trying to fix people's lives rather than pointing them to the cross, and yeah, it just like, the door wide open for this.
2: You're that's pointing exactly people so inside. Foster, because that's sort of what he's saying. Because I don't believe he really knew Christ, or he wouldn't teach occultism. Mm-hmm. But he was attracting people that went to uh, liberal churches that thought themselves Christian, but they had no real spirituality. So let me quote him again. This is from page 14 of his book, Celebration of Discipline, 1978. Quote, no doubt, part of the surge of interest in Eastern meditation is because the churches have abrogated the field, says Foster. How depressing for a university student seeking to know the Christian teaching on meditation just to discover that there are so few living masters of contemplative prayer and that nearly all of the serious writings on the subject are seven or more centuries old. No wonder he or she turns to Zen, Yoga, or TM, which is Transcendental Meditation, unquote. Mm-hmm. Richard Foster. Mm-hmm. So he was saying, well, there's nothing there. We don't have the uh, monastic mystics from the middle ages so they're going to the east but we're just going to make a christian version of it so they don't have to go to the east That's, that's what foster was saying
1: yeah to tap into occult or hidden and the idea of the hidden knowledge that they want to access and mysticism turns everything inward you want to go inside to find god so it's the exact opposite of christianity so to that's the same concept of trying to slap on a christian label to something that's mystical you're looking within yourself as if god is within rather than um theism you know god is outside of us god is separate from us he is the creator we are his creation we are not god so, again, it's like to not to not have to acknowledge man's sin nature is what all of these other religions are doing. That we can, through works, we can um, find our way to this idea of heaven. We don't need God to do it for us. Man will save himself.
2: Wow. So, uh, Amy, have you noticed that churches, some churches sponsor yoga?
1: Yeah, I have not gone to those churches. I'm very careful to find out which ones do. I've gone to John MacArthur's church out here, Jack Hibbs, and there's, but there's so many that are along the same lines of the mysticism and meditation. And, you know, like God says, harness harness yourself to my word. Don't go into emptying your mind meditation you harness your mind to God's word and that's the difference. But, but the whole mystical idea is to move within yourself and to no longer need God to save. We don't, we're not sinners, so we don't need to be saved. You know, that's, that's just the whole concept of the new age. You know, it's like, I just wanted to reference that in all yoga classes, they end with the teacher and student bringing their palms to their hands uh, or their, their palms to their hearts in a namaskar mudra or gesture to say to themselves and each other namaste, which in Hindi Sanskrit translates, I bow to the divinity within. And this seals oh. the yoga practice by reminding everyone why they're there to access their divinity. So it's a redefining of the word seal. This seal is the crux of new age philosophy. Man does not need to save man will save himself also in catholicism there's a seal of confession but the only true seal is that of the holy spirit as christians we are sealed with the promise of the holy spirit like ephesians 1 13 in him you also after listening to the message of truth the gospel of your salvation having believed you were sealed in him with the holy spirit of promise so it's like the mystical idea of church just does away with all of this and they go into the um they go into the New Age philosophy, the crux of the New Age philosophy, man will save himself. Just look within. It's all within.
2: Yeah, and that's Hidden
1: awesome. knowledge that we need to access. But that's the same idea that the serpent gave to Eve in the Garden of Eden, this hidden knowledge. You know, you can know good and evil.
2: Well, it's a total of what it says in Jeremiah, what it says, the heart is desperately, desperately wicked. wicked. Uh, so how can how can they say that you have divinity within when yeah. anybody that's half honest will admit that within self is where we got all our problems.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, those who go so deep with, within themselves, for example, like someone struggling with addiction, like they have gone really deep within themselves and like they haven't uncovered some wellspring of joy and peace. You know, they've become tortured souls. They struggle with bondage. So that's who, that's what happens when we go deep within ourselves. There's nothing to be found. There's no divine nature or perfection to be found.
2: Pretty ironic that the Bible tells us to die to self and they tell us to find self.
0: To find self, yeah.
2: Right. So
0: I'm thinking back to um, when we lived in Northeast Minneapolis, there was a Lutheran church a block up the road and we could see their parking lot and door from from our front window. And every Wednesday night... The street would line up with cars, and they would all be getting out with their yoga mats and going into the Lutheran church. And I'm just picturing these people doing yoga in the church and bowing to the divinity within. Mm-hmm. And it just blows my mind. How could you even? I I can't. There must be so little Bible teaching in that church to leave them so deceived to think that that would be remotely okay. Yeah,
1: a and also. Just to talk again about the regular fitness workout versus applying the mystical component of yoga. We spoke briefly about this last time, how yoga is the integrating of movement with the breath as meditative tool to access an altered state. So without this linking, the mind remains in the physical realm. When the tapestry of movement with breath focus is achieved, the practice then acts as a conduit for mystical union with the spirits. And vinyasa is the linking of asanas with the breath in a serpentine flow. The sound of the breath then becomes the mantra to focus the mind while moving through the poses. When the two become one, the mind is allegedly set free. So the repeated instruction is, in yoga is always come back to the breath. The, okay. breath. the breath is the gateway to meditation. And we apply this technique to self-hypnotize, like Bob referred to Um this self-hypnosis self-hypnosis. We can then allegedly access our supernatural power or a Kundalini spirit because we've created a mental void for the spirits to fill, which is how you then obtain a supernatural high versus just an endorphin high. So in a regular workout, the breath doesn't act as a holding mechanism to silence the mind in a regular workout. The objective is not to access the mystical realm through self-hypnosis with the breath. But that's like you were saying with breath prayer, Right. And with contemplative prayer, how they're trying to bring that into the church. And it's all about accessing the mystical realm.
2: Uh, well, guess what? I went and did a little research on one of my articles
1: uh-huh.
2: from over 10 years ago. And Richard Foster te- teaches breath prayer. So let me cite that. So From what you said, Amy, that you were doing in the occult, let me read what R- Richard Foster prescribed. And, and many, many people bought his book for supposedly for Christians. Here's what he said. Foster, quote, Having seated yourself comfortably, slowly become conscious of your breathing. This will help you get in touch with your body and indicate to you the level of tension within. Inhale deeply, says Foster, slowly tilting your head back as far as it will go. Then exhale, allowing your head to slowly come forward until your chin nearly rests on your chest. Foster says, do this for several moments, praying inwardly something like this, quote, quote within the quote, Lord, I exhale my fear over my geometry exam. I inhale your peace. I exhale my spiritual apathy. I inhale your light and life. Unquote within the quote unquote in the entire quote from Foster. So you decide uh, something you don't like, and you exhale it, mm-hmm. and then you think of something you would want, and you inhale it. So there's breath prayer in the. Uh-huh.
0: So that sounds very much like what you were describing, Amy. Yet this yeah. is being sold to Christians.
1: Yeah. And you're, and you're dropping into yourself and you're um, dropping all thought. And when you create that mental void, something fills it. But it's, it's like, you're using your breath as a way to tell God what you want him to do for you. You know, like it, it just, it just seems like the, they're trying to, they're trying to change the terminology. They're trying to redefine the terms. Of Of what the Bible says, to make it sound mystical. like we have power within ourselves. We can tap into our own um, innate power. We don't need God to um, we don't need to look to God. we can look within. so they're they're changing the words, but it's the same concept.
2: yeah, so Foster's version doesn't sound any different than the occult one.
1: It doesn't. No, absolutely. And it's the same idea of contemplative prayer, of, of dropping in and accessing your soul um, deep within versus just coming together in prayer to God. You know, like you said, God ordains how we worship him. He ordains how we come together. It sure
2: does. You know, the, it's interesting that in real uh, exercise, which most of us probably think we should do more of... Uh, Like, for instance, i got an exercise bike right here. When you get on that and you start riding the exercise bike, you hold on to these handles and it monitors your heart rate. And then it has a readout that tells how much resistance you're doing and how many RPMs you're doing and how long you've been doing it. And you do that until you get everything done you need to do. But every aspect of that, your heart rate, how long you've been doing it, the amount of energy you're expending, the number of RPMs, how fast you're turning the pedals, they're all objective. It has to do with real physiology, Mm -hmm. no meditative state. So to claim that this other stuff is exercise is foolishness.
0: Right. So then... Thinking about how Christians get lured into this, is yoga kind of the hook? Come and do some stretching and some relaxation, and in the meantime, we're sneaking in the meditation and all the occult practices? Or would the Christian yoga be more like a sign that they've already abandoned and gone over to the occult? In your opinion.
1: Christian yoga, people think that that it can be Christianized. Like I was saying, they can just slap on a Christian label and that eliminates its occult background. And people do think it's okay and they haven't moved into the the mystical, but what it does, the hook is that it slowly eliminates your ability to discern the Bible and it slowly moves you away from God. That's what it's it's designed to move us away from God. Even if they if they slap a christian label on it it is designed to move us away from god so the craftiness of satan because we all come together thinking oh this is great we're going to worship god this way but like people don't understand that it's all about walking away from god and walking toward this mystical idea that then satan has more of an ability to kind of get his hooks in us through this practice. So initially people aren't thinking, no, I'm just want, I just want to move toward mystical. I want to walk away from Christianity. People truly do think that I can do this and still be a Christian. I can do this and worship God, but the source of yoga is corrupt. You can't undo the, you can't take away the occult aspect of it and change it to a Christian philosophy. You know, yoga was given to humans from the demons. It was their gift to them. So to then say, "Oh, I can just do this as a Christian." I know a lot of people think that they can, but the whole concept is designed to to lead us away from God, not toward him. So slowly, the more you practice, the more you open yourself up to the mystical ideas. And God says, you know, Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven, leavens the whole loaf. You can't just like throw in a little bit of mysticism and think that's God's going to be accepting of this type of of worship.
0: Yep. We've throughout this series brought up Deuteronomy 12 a couple of different times. And I just want to refer back to a couple of verses there before we run out of time. And... In here, God is telling them what to do as they come into these pagan lands. And I'm just going to start with verse 3. It says, And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from the place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. So God determines how he will be worshipped, and he doesn't want his people taking things from the pagan, unbelieving world and saying, well, we'll just repurpose this and make it Christian. Mm -hmm. And the threat to the Israelites in that time was to go into these heathen lands and become like them rather than following God and what he had ordained for Israel. And though we aren't the Old Testament Israel, we can still be very easily lured away to the pagan practices of the world. And that's why we need to be discerning and we need to stick with God's word and what he has ordained in his word for us. So...
2: In Acts, when Paul went into different places where polytheism was going on, such as in Athens, uh, he rebuked them and... In, in Ephesus, the Christians burned their occult books. So it was the same thing in, in the church as in the Old Testament when they they were told, don't learn how the other peoples serve their gods and try to do the same. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. You can't do that. God is going to determine how we come to it. And mm-hmm. the same thing happened in the New Covenant in Acts.
0: Yep. All right. Well, we are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary. We will come back next week where we're going to talk more about meditation and mindfulness. We want to remind you that you can access this episode and all previous podcasts and articles at our website, cicministry.org. For Critical Issues Commentary, this has been Jessica Kramus, Amy Russell, and Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.